Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to The Caring Economy with me, Toby Usnick. Today, I'm honored to have all the way from New Delhi, India, my colleagues, Priya Singh. Supriya is the head of corporate social responsibility for Tata Communications, which we'll hear a little bit about shortly. Tata is a huge, the oldest, if not one of the oldest conglomerates in uh, India and one of the greatest practitioners of corporate social responsibility for its 100 plus years in business. Um, Supriya, welcome to The Caring Economy. Thank you so much, Toby. It's really a privilege to be here and um, I'm very excited to share uh, you know, our CSR journey and talk a little bit about what we do in the group, but, but absolutely uh, you know, excited to be here. Thank you. Uh, Supriya, can you uh, perhaps give us a little bit of an introduction about you? Um, how did you get to where you are today in terms of your career moves, your, your background, um, and along the way, maybe some of the pivots or the, the inflection points where you went left instead of right or up instead of down? Um, whatever you, know, think, you think would be inspiring to our listeners. Absolutely. Uh, you know, when I think about my professional journey, uh, I didn't always start in the impact sector. I was not always part of uh, CSR. Um, in fact, uh, you know, I was born in a small town in India, in eastern part of India, uh, in a place called uh, Patna. And um, historically, this, uh, uh, this region was known for its arts and culture and education. But over the years, uh, uh, due to bad governance, you know, uh, we've had, we actually, this entire region went to the bottom of the human development index in the country. Um, I was, you know, I was the first woman from my family to actually uh, leave, uh, uh, leave the house, so as to say, and go to another, another state to get educated and go for my higher education. Mm -hmm. And while this may be commonplace outside of India, um, uh, it's, it, it wasn't that common then. And um, I, was, I was pretty sure. In fact, I had a chat with my father and um, my father was very nervous. And he said, you know, we've never had someone uh, go out of the house for education. Uh, mm -hmm. And I, I, I moved to another city in India. And uh, uh, that's where really my, uh, you know, uh, the exposure to the outside world uh, Started, I studied in a place called Pune, which is uh, very interestingly known as the uh, Oxford of India for the many colleges that it has and a very vibrant student uh, culture. Mm -hmm. While I was in uh, Pune, I, I was studying economics for my undergraduation, uh, but uh, throughout my uh, college life, I was very much interested in social issues and uh, Part of me wanted to do something, but uh, you know, I, I sort of didn't find the right uh, opportunity. Uh, and then I would say the first big, uh, uh, you know, uh, sort of turning point happened in my life when I when I joined uh, the Jawaharlal Nehru University, uh, mm -hmm. which is uh, one of the best universities in, in Delhi, also in news for all kinds of reasons. Uh, but uh, when I came to JNU, I, that's where my education started. I, I studied international politics in, in Jawaharlal Nehru University. Um, I completed my MPhil uh, from the university. But while I was doing that, I started traveling India like nobody's business. 
I signed up for various, you know, uh, volunteering opportunities, internships, um, wherever it was possible. And that Toby was, was, I would say, the second sort of big turning point uh, in my life because I'd not seen my country like that, you know, mm -hmm. being brought up in a very privileged environment. Uh, I had not seen the kind of uh, uh, issues and kind of societal challenges that India had. Um, and I and I traveled extensively from you know from Ladakh in the north to uh, to Tamil Nadu in the south and working on a range of issues from iodine deficiency disorder to a right to food campaign uh, to doing life skills programs for young people. Uh, that's when I realized that this is something that where my heart is and it was. It was a calling. It was not something which, for which I went to a university and I studied about. It was really a calling. It was something where I felt I could contribute and I would like to do something about as, as, as part of my career, as part of my, uh, you know, personal endeavor. Yes. And that's, is. you know, that's when I, I, I went a little crazy working for many uh, NGOs and civil society organizations in, in Delhi. Um, yeah. and, and that's how the journey started in a way. So um, I want to give our audience a sense of just who it is you're working for now. So um, Tata is, I think, a 153-year-old company. You are $113 billion in revenue. It's an industrial conglomerate that controls such brands as Tetley T and Jaguar and, um, and on and on and on. So could you give us a little overview of some of your, your peer or your um, fellow subsidiaries within Tata and then more specifically Tata Communications? Um, and then also, if you might tell us a little bit about the philanthropic trust, because you are not publicly traded, you are in fact organized as a philanthropy, which is astonishing for such a huge multinational conglomerate. Yeah, you know, it's, it's quite a privilege to be uh, working for the Tata Group. And um, uh, we have uh, this, uh, you know, sort of unsaid, uh, 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 unsaid uh, uh, feeling in the in the organization and in the group that when you work for the Tata group you work with a with an added sense of responsibility and that's a word that often gets used for the Tata group and rightly so so just to give you a brief you know background about the group it was uh, it was established in 1868 by um, uh, by Jamshed Ji Tata and uh, uh, it, it was a pioneering uh, effort back then. So you're absolutely, absolutely right in saying that you know, it's a 153-year-old it's uh, company and much before sustainable development or sustainability right. um, uh, came into, uh, became, uh, became uh, a buzzword. Uh, I think the Tata Group was already doing a lot. And just to take, give you some sense of, you know, um, uh, how this effort looked like 150 or 140 years ago. Uh, Jamshed Ji Tata actually uh, uh, started a series of uh, welfare efforts way back in 1886 as part of one of the textile mills that he had established. This was much before 
you know the workers rights or or you know the, the labor right that that we talk about in in modern day um he went on to then establish something called the jain tata endowment fund uh in 1892 to help indian students pursue higher studies abroad he was he was a firm believer in um you know promoting and really empowering the brightest minds of the country mm-hmm. and we are talking about 1892 uh not to forget india was not an independent country back then uh and it doesn't stop there so if you see the history of the tata group you know uh, you can't talk about nation building or uh, you know india's development without talking about the tata group and that is uh, how the how immense has been the contribution of the group to nation building uh, and that has has flowed uh, and, and is alive even till today so anyone who joins the tata group uh, joins with uh, the intention that yes uh, profits are important but how we make profit is even more important and what we do with that profit uh, for the community is sacrosanct it's sacred you know it's something that we don't take lightly at all and i would just uh, quote uh, uh, you know jamshed ji tata this is a quote that you'll often hear from anyone who's working for the tata group because what he said was in a free enterprise the community is not just another stakeholder but is in fact the very purpose of its existence that's amazing <laughs> that's worth repeating yeah, and, and i can i can tell you this this really sort of informs everything that we do uh, the way we do our business the Way we make our profits, uh, what we do with our profits, uh, the way we collaborate with our stakeholders—it's um, with the intention of people first, community first, and that's the spirit uh, that you see in everything that that Tatas uh, do, and whether in India or in the many other countries that we are present. So, Supriya, thank you. This is, ladies and gentlemen, again, we're with Supriya Singh, who is the head of corporate social responsibility at Tata Communications. We're just hearing a little bit about this $113 billion conglomerate, 153 years old, 722,000 employees worldwide, immense, privately held, uh, founded is a philanthropic trust, and to this day, still operating under that premise. Um, Supriya, could you give us a little uh, list, if you would, of some of the brands that our our listeners will know but have not necessarily uh, associated with Tata? Well, one of the most famous is the uh, is the Jaguar Land Rover, and um, you know Jaguar Land Rover uh, also is one of the companies from a CSR perspective that uh, impacts close to two million uh, people. um so i i think uh, jlr doesn't require any introduction but it's it's mm-hmm. widely popular that's one of the brands that tata group owns uh tetley if uh, you know you are a tea drinker and lover um yeah tetley is is something that you would be familiar with um other than that uh, interestingly for all the coffee lovers in in india the starbucks uh, is a joint venture between tata and starbucks so um that's that's another very popular brand uh, that you know tatas are associated with uh, in terms of hospitality if you've had the opportunity to 
stay at any of the Taj properties anywhere in the world. Um, well, that's again, you know, the, the Indian hotels uh, uh, group that we are talking about, uh, which is owned by the Tatas again. So, you know, I can, I can go on and on and uh, uh, we are really a salt to satellite uh, uh, conglomerate and uh, in India, famously and popularly, everybody says there's a little bit of Tata in everyone. Yes. Um, uh, so yeah, that's that, that. That's just some of the brands that you know Tata proudly uh, owns. So so tell us a little bit about how your daily work plays out. Are you busy getting employees engaged in volunteering? Are you writing checks to charitable organizations? Are you integrating your corporate social responsibility into the business products and services? Where does the rubber meet the road with Tata Communications? Uh, and sorry, maybe um, again, we're with Supriya Singh from um, head of CSR at Tata Communications. Maybe you could also tell us a little bit about Tata Communications within the larger entity. Sure. So like I, you know, I was talking about the Tata group uh, legacy and, uh, you know, the values that the group has, uh, which means that any Tata group company uh, is in a way inspired by that legacy and vision and Tata Communications is no different. Um, uh, it, is, it is one of the younger Tata Group companies. Uh, we are about 18 years old. So you can imagine in a 153 year old history, uh, Tata Communications came much later. We are a digital ecosystem provider, uh, which means that uh, you know, we are a business to business company. Um, uh, erstwhile, uh, uh, Videsh Sanchar Nigam Limited, which is which is which was which was a, a public sector undertaking and responsible for bringing the internet to the country, and mm -hmm. recently VSNL celebrated 25 years. So you know there's a lot of history that of course sort of communications uh, inherited from VSNL. Um, uh, but over the years we have uh, transformed from. Uh, um, traditional uh, uh, voice uh, service provider to uh, uh, to a digital ecosystem enabler and, and we work across the world. Uh, so when we looked at our CSR, Toby, we were uh, we actually uh, wanted to uh, sort of articulate what really is the essence of Tata Communications because we wanted the CSR to. Course. And we realized digital enablement is at the heart of everything that we do. So way back in, uh, you know, 2016-17, uh, uh, you know, we, we, uh, uh, we, we looked at our CSR uh, policy and portfolio, and we made digital enablement really the cornerstone of everything that we do. Uh, we also, in a way, uh, looked at our CSR uh, mission and uh, 16, 17, uh, in, in, from a timeline perspective, I mean, just for the benefit of our listeners, um, is, was immediately after the adoption of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals in 2015. Mm -hmm. And that was really the global framework within which we were working. Mm -hmm. So we... Uh, our CSR uh, mission is about creating connected societies for sustainable development uh, through next practices. Um, and, and what we are hoping to do is uh, we are, uh, uh, by focusing on three priority areas specifically, um, which, is, which are education, 
uh, healthcare, and the third one being employability and sustainable livelihoods. We want to reach uh, a million lives by 2022-23. That's that's really the you know if you say in terms of um, outreach, that's where we want to be. But what we also want to do uh, while you know we are on this journey is we want to look at uh, uh, we we want to look at UN SDGs very seriously, and and that has been our endeavor in the last you know three to four years where. Um, uh, we are looking at it more as a global framework that can inform uh, action at the national and local levels for data communications. Mm -hmm. um, we also have employees uh, outside of India. So it's very important uh, that you know, we look at UN SDGs as, um, as, as a framework that almost everyone can, you know, uh, can relate to is applicable for different regions of the world. And um, uh, in addition to the UN SDGs, uh, what I would also like to highlight is that uh, there are four uh, pillars that we, that we look at very carefully. Uh, one is that we want, to, we want our programs to focus on women and young girls. And that is, is, uh, is, uh, uh, it comes from a very special place in, in my heart and also you know, at Tata Communications, the leadership is absolutely behind it. Um, the second is uh, to look at uh, affirmative action. And affirmative action in the Indian context uh, essentially means that uh, as a Tata Group company, we are committed to advancing uh, the lives of historically marginalized communities, namely the Dalits and tribals. Uh, the third one is disaster relief and rehabilitation. And we have seen in the last five to seven years, you know, India has been at the receiving end of several um, uh, uh, calamities, uh, natural calamities. And uh, it just doesn't disrupt uh, the lives of uh, people in the short run. In fact, it takes many, many months and years for, for the government, for the country to rehabilitate. Tata Group is, is committed to disaster relief under something called the one Tata response where all Tata companies come together to, um, to provide relief and rehabilitation. And the last pillar, the fourth pillar that we work on is of course digital enablement where we are looking at a bunch of issues, uh, access to digital technology, um, safe internet for all, um, uh, access to digital technology amongst young girls and women, which is again, you know, it's a completely different issue. Yep. Uh, it plays are very differently. Yeah. So again, so, we're with Supriya. Yeah. Sorry, we're with Supriya Singh, the head of corporate social responsibility at Tata Communications, um, and and we should mention for our audience members who do not know what the UN SDGs are, that is the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, which are. 17 goals that the, broadly speaking, the global community, uh, most nations, all nations have agreed to pursue. And so it's both governments and civil society organizations, as well as corporations and entities like Tata that are saying, here are the world's biggest woes, all 17 of them from uh, women and girls empowerment to climate to, uh, e to um, uh, uh, opportunity. And so um, it's a, something I've written about in the caring economy because it allows us to not reinvent the wheel and join forces around these cause areas. 
And so um, with that, I wanted to ask you a little bit, um, Supriya, about uh, two things in particular. One is about the 2% law in India. I think our audience might be intrigued by what that is and how it plays out. And then also um, we'll go on to hear about COVID and how you've all responded real time to that. So can you familiarize our audience a little bit with the 2% CSR law in India? Uh, sure. Uh, yeah, so, you know, I, I, uh, Toby, if I may, I, I just before I jump into the 2% law, I think I'll backtrack a bit because the 2% law happened um, because there was already a very fertile, you know, legal framework that India had set up. Uh, 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 and, and, and I think that's important to know, and we often miss that. Uh, one was, of course, uh, you know, our emphasis on inclusive uh, growth, which has always been part of our development plans and, and you know, the five, earlier the five-year plans. And now, of course, um, <clears throat> uh, we have integrated in different aspects of our national policies. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2000, uh, you know, in 2009, the government uh, uh, came up with something called the Voluntary Guidelines on Corporate Social Responsibility. And this was really the first step towards mainstreaming the concept of business responsibility. Uh, This particular guideline, and I'll stress on the word voluntary here, uh, was was revised in 2011, and uh, it it became the National Voluntary Guidelines on Social, Environmental, and Economic Responsibilities of Business. So what really happened between 2009 and 2011 was this a uh, growing realization that uh, you know a business needs to work on every pillar of sustainable development and it's not just only uh, economy and it's it's not only about prosperity but there is uh, the, the you know the environmental aspect is as important uh, as economic responsibility and so is so is the social uh, dimension of business responsibility mm-hmm. Uh, the the revised uh, national voluntary guidelines is actually a set of nine principles, and one of the principles specifically talks about inclusive growth and equitable development. So the two percent uh, CSR law, which actually uh, came into existence in two thousand and thirteen, uh, in a way uh, was born out of uh, uh, you know the these voluntary guidelines, uh, or at least the foundation was laid by these voluntary guidelines. The big difference, obviously, what what uh, the 2013 uh, CSR, CSR law uh, brought into the whole uh, scenario was it made uh, spend by companies in the social uh, domain mandatory. So remember, the earlier guidelines were voluntary, and now in the with the 2013 CSR law, it became mandatory for a set of companies and which was defined by the government. And I would just sort of uh, mention it uh, for the benefit of, of those who have tuned in, um, that there are actually three categories of companies that qualify uh, under this law. Um, so what the law does is that it sets minimum contributions for mandatory CSR requiring Indian businesses with a net worth of, you know, about 77 million US dollars or revenue of around uh, 155 uh, 
uh, US, uh, 155 million US dollars or a net profit of about uh, 660,000 US dollars channel 2% of their profits towards CSR initiatives. Now, this 2% uh, is, is what is really uh, important to remember, which means that 2% of uh, the net profit, the average net profit of companies that are eligible under this law have to spend this on certain, uh, you know, certain areas, certain domains that the government has identified. And it's fairly uh, broad from health to women empowerment to environment. Um, and th there are several things one can do, uh, but these companies are expected to not only spend the 2% of, of their average net profit, but also report. So spending is one part, but repent, uh, reporting and disclosure is another very, very important part of the CSR law. And we, we, we have now, uh, we are in the sixth year of, of the CSR law. Of course, there are, like with any other effort and any other law, there are, uh, you know, there are uh, issues and there are gaps. Uh, uh, the way it is uh, currently, um, you know, it currently plays out in the country. Uh, but overall, what it has done is it has brought a lot of structure to to CSR spending in in India. Great. So, Priya Singh, head of CSR at Tata Communications. And on the 2% law, which went into place in 2013, what I'm hearing you say is a general thumbs up as India finds its way through it. So it's quite bold and um, makes me all the more excited to hear about the largest democracy in the world taking on these initiatives and, um, and moving forward hand in hand between government and, and corporations. Um, Supriya, we have a little bit of time left. I'd love to hear about um, the pivot that Tata Communications has gone through with COVID-19. The whole world seems shut down in a matter of 48 hours, and I can see from your backdrop you're working from home as well. Um, yes. How did, how, I think that CSR helps, it's like a muscle. When you practice it, you exercise it, you're prepared for the unknown. And I suspect that that's been the case with Tata Communications. But please tell us about the, um, the reaction or response to COVID-19 and Tata Communications. I think I'll, I'll briefly answer that. Uh, the first one was, was definitely, uh, you know, the safety of our um, people. Uh, so we immediately went into a work from home scenario for our employees across the globe. And we could do it very swiftly we, we, because we already had the mechanism and the systems to support it. While that was happening, we also realized that there's a bigger tragedy unfolding in India with you know, thousands of migrants suddenly finding themselves out of jobs and not just finding themselves out of jobs because of the lockdown um, that ensued after the pandemic, you know, when we started having the first few cases. Uh, they, they were also very desperate to get back to the safety of their homes. And in this case, these homes are actually villages that are thousands of kilometers away from the metros and the big cities. Mm. What happened, Toby, I don't think anyone in India was prepared for. There were hundreds of people walking with their families for thousands of kilometers on for days uh, together to reach uh, their villages because there was just this desperation to be uh, to feel certain about something considering you know there was so much uncertainty going on 
what we immediately started doing was to provide uh, meals to these migrants uh, because that was really the immediate need. They had no food. Um, so we had, of course, a Tata group uh, strategy, but at a company level from a Tata communications perspective, we identified uh, some of our partners with whom we could immediately reach out to, uh, to the families uh, in need and we could uh, support about 5,000 families in the first few weeks of the lockdown. Mm. Um, we, we then started, uh, the second thing we did was we launched an uh, employee giving program where you know, we matched uh, employee giving dollar to dollar. And uh, which, which, was, uh, which was a humbling experience because people uh, and my colleagues and, and employees of Tata Communications came out uh, with a large heart and, and, and contributed uh, uh, immensely to, to this uh, employee fund that we set up for COVID. Uh, as a result of which we could partner with close to 22, 23 organizations globally to, uh, uh, you know, to channelize these funds and also, you know, uh, uh, provide relief to people who really needed it. Mm -hmm. uh, while that was happening, we looked at our own business competencies and we, we sort of asked ourselves, what can we do using our own business competencies uh, in, in, in such a scenario. And then of course we are a digital um, uh, ecosystem enabler. So we worked with other Tata group companies uh, to provide connectivity to, to various hospitals for, uh, for telemedicine, for, um, you know, for, for uh, also uh, uh, taking calls uh, from, from people who suspected they were uh, suspected that they were they they were COVID positive. So we did a bunch of uh, you know these things, and we we had divided our entire work in a in a short term, medium term, long term uh, kind of an approach, which most most companies did. But our immediate response was to provide relief to the migrants and and you know people living in urban slums. That's a fantastic. Uh, final thought, I think, how you responded real time to one of the greatest challenges of our our times. Um, again, Supriya Singh, Head of Corporate Social Responsibility at Tata Communications. Supriya, I'll let you have the last word. Any sort of words of encouragement, lessons learned, or surprise things we should know about Tata or Tata Communications, or you tell us something we'd like to know. Um, I think I've spoken a lot about Tata Communications, but you know, in, in all this, what I have uh, all through my professional journey, what I've realized is that um, being uh, authentic is non-negotiable and it's almost like a life skill. Um, you know, if, you, if you're authentic, if you accept yourself, probably accepting others and, you know, accepting this world becomes very important. And that, that's very critical in CSR. Um, to accept people, to accept, accept situations, not because we don't want to do anything about it, but because we want to do something about it. And I think it starts with a great deal of acceptance. Thank you so much. <laughs> well said. And please come back and join us on The Caring Economy another time. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Toby Usnick, and our guest today has been Supriya Singh, Head of Corporate Social Responsibility at Tata Communications, the subsidiary of the $133 billion, 173-year-old Indian conglomerate Tata Group. Thank you, Supriya. Thanks, Toby. Thanks for having me.